0: And one of the most valuable things I ever did in my career was I started this process of interviewing everyone, you know, and A, they were blown away that I would take the time because I was spending an hour with each employee, you know, and, and, you know, granted we didn't have a thousand employees, but, you know, in, a, in the in the agency world, it wasn't typical that... that You know, the president of the company would sit down and spend an hour with each person, and I tried to do it.
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really, as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Bill Brady, CEO of Trumi Wireless. If you didn't catch part one, please go back and learn about the new kind of cell phones that those guys are selling at Trumi. He has basically got... A Samsung phone. This is how I explain it, Bill. You can do a better job.
0: (laughs) You get a Samsung
1: phone, your kid will actually not be embarrassed to bring to school with them. But you have all these parental controls where they're not completely locked out, but they don't have access to everything. And I can actually make decisions as a parent of like when my kid gets this app or that app or this app. And there's no way to like pay a kid 100 bucks at junior high to just unlock the whole thing. How do I do do my elevator pitch, Bill? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's, that's pretty good. (laughs) We,
0: yeah, we set out to, to build a phone that an operating system, really, that allows a phone to grow with your child. And, but keep them at every stage, keep them away from the garbage, the pornography, the predators, the bullies, that stuff's always locked out. But, you know, cater an experience to a child based on their age and their maturity and their needs and put the,
1: the, the control in the parents' hands. Well, and I think for me, it's back to it's a really good phone with a really good camera that my kids think is really fun. And it starts at like 15 bucks a month. So when I'm thinking about like, do I really want to pay for a, a sixth phone line in my family for my <laughs> 10-year-old? But it's like, I do want to call him for the neighborhood kid and say, come home instead of have to hunt him down. The fourteen, the 15 bucks makes it easier to get started. You're going to say and that that. Uh, uh, yeah, and that, you'll
0: you'll appreciate this because you're Canadian, as am I, is where we came from. Even though we've been here for uh, many, many years now, that 15 bucks is truly unlimited talk and text, and it includes calling to Canada and Mexico. Yeah, They it's... can call
1: grandma. <laughs> Absolutely, they can. <laughs> okay, sold. Well, listen, I kind of want to pick up kind of where we finish off on part one about some of these things. I want to go back to this earlier in your career when you have clients like Netflix and Google and who's another one of your big fancy clients that you advised?
0: Hewlett Packard? Okay. Did, did did some some work for HP that was uh, really fun as well?
1: Okay. When you think about these multi-billion dollar brands that can hire basically anybody they want, everybody in the ad world, you know, is is clamoring to get Google on there client list, right? Netflix, right? Tell me, tell me a bit about what was going through your head when you are actually coming up with something that is going to try to move the needle for a Netflix that's, that's actually going to be valuable for a Google. How are you approaching it knowing, hey, the best minds in the advertising world are already bringing them great ideas?
0: Yeah. So in, in any case with those large companies, you're not the only agency at the table, you you know, Google does work with thousands of agencies every year. And so that the, the opportunities that we had to do work for Google, you know, we're always very specific, this here's a specific problem to solve, here's a specific offering to promote. So in any of those cases, it's, separating yourself from that potential intimidation of oh my goodness this is google and just really t- understanding the immediate challenge and opportunity that that the customer is working through and then you know in, in my case as a as a brand strategist it's taking all of these principles that i've internalized over a couple of decades and saying okay here's the situation how do I learn everything I can about it? And now let me start applying these, these principles to it to come up with, with a solution. So it, it was just, you know, breaking it down into manageable projects and pieces as opposed to being overwhelmed by hey I'm not a Madison Avenue agency how how am I here what am I doing at the table <laughs> there is it, there's a confidence that comes from knowing it may be Google it may be Netflix but they picked me to work on this and you know you don't have to be on Madison Avenue to provide value
1: yeah when it comes to the process of of value you know i think about my my former art school friends uh, that I still hang out with. I think about the CEOs of other agencies that have been clients of ours at our consulting firm. And these are idea people. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I really identify with them because I am the guy who's got like a hundred ideas and for every one of them, there's a good one in there somewhere. Right? So when you think about navigating the difference between drinking our own Kool-Aid and being convinced of how much our new thing, our new idea is the best idea for the business Versus becoming objective and like, I guess, how do you know if you're lying to yourself or not about how good your idea is?
0: Well, you're, you're spot on, first of all, that that's that's really what people are buying from agencies. It's it's ideas. You know, if, if you just look at an agency in terms of the work it produces, There are thousands of great designers. There are thousands of great copywriters. What really distinguishes one agency from another is the quality of its ideas. So you've got to, you know, be able to generate ideas and have enough belief and and passion for those that you can, you can sell them, you can sell the idea, but you're doing your client a disservice if you haven't vetted those ideas. So I you know, I'm a big believer, and I talked about this a little bit when we were together last time. I'm a big believer in doing market research, in in saying, hey, this is the direction I think we should go. But then there's there's gotta be some kind of process for for taking the idea and improving it, enlarging it, and making sure that it's it's gonna land. And not every idea will land, but you dramatically increase your odds when you go through some kind of a, a rigorous process in vetting the, the, the recommendation that you're making.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, tell me this, how does that, well, it's interesting to me that so many people in the marketing world, in the creative world, end up becoming a little bit of like, they can kind of edit video. They can kind of do graphic design. Maybe they're a little stronger in something, but they, they dabble in all these other things, but But to the point that they don't really achieve deep mastery at any one of them, in my observation, when you think about diving into strategy, like without it being tied to video editing or graphic design or the, you know, these other things, can you talk about the decision to choose just strategy as like the thing you're going to go all the way on?
0: Yeah, in, in my case, that was my interest. Um. And it probably has a lot to do with with my my background and the things that I was interested in from a from a young age. Uh, I was never in the, I've never been drawn to the details. I, I, I've always been a kind of a big picture, a big picture thinker, and and I, and I love I love the looking at the that process of figuring out if I do this, what will be the outcomes? You know, what will be the, the consequences? And if, you know, if I react to those, what happens if I do this and I do that? And, and just kind of taking an idea down, down the road. My wife has told me before that I should have been a lawyer. I actually looked at law school at one point because I love that this strategic thinking. And so that's, that's where I was drawn. And I knew that I, I I didn't have the talent to be the graphic designer, but I could be the person that could look at a design and say, Hey, that works or doesn't work relative to the strategy because of XYZ. You know, likewise with the, the words that are used, you know, I can tell if, if something's gonna land or not, but you know, I'm not the best copywriter
1: myself. When you think about getting better at strategy, who do you look up to? Are there are there books out there? Are there practitioners out there worth you know that the rest of us can look up and and learn from. I have I have a
0: long bibliography. You know there's kind of the academic side of that question and then the 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 everyday side of of the of of the question. So just on a on a practical level, Seth Godin does a phenomenal job of delivering marketing principles in a way that are easy to read and easy to remember and things that you can latch on to one of his books that I love recommending to people is called all marketers are liars. And, you know, the first words of the book are, okay, they're not really liars, but they tell great stories. And, and, you know, in in that book, for example, he, he talks about the art of storytelling, you know, marketing is the, is the process he says of telling the customer the story that they want to be told. And if you can make your brand do that, you're going to be successful. Um, there's uh, another gentleman, David Acker, who's much more cerebral. You know, he's a professor at Stanford. He's got a couple books that I've loved, that I've really enjoyed: "Building Strong Brands," "Brand Portfolio Strategy." But they're very academic. How do and you spell his last name? A A K E R and so i would i would read the less academic ones first <laughs> and and then if you want to get into the deeper stuff you know do, do that but definitely start with with the the stuff that's written for everyday business owners another one called love marks kevin clancy i believe his uh, his name was love marks talks about that process of building you know a, a true symbol and metaphor in brand into a, a customer's experience, something that they can latch on to. So I mean there's there's all kinds of great ones. And in, in fact I'm I'm happy to provide a, a bibliography if you want to include it in your show notes of my of my favorite books. There's dozens.
1: Uh, so I'm just on Amazon. Tell me the David acker ones, Acker ones that you like best.
0: Building strong brands. Okay. And then uh, brand portfolio strategy. <laughs> so uh, this that second one, you've dealt with companies. Every, all of our all of your listeners have experienced this. You know, sometimes a, a company is a single entity and it's you know pretty straightforward. But when you get into larger organizations with a variety of products or a variety of different industries they're involved in, you really have to put a lot of thought and strategy into how do I architect this in a way that every customer interaction builds my brand and I don't inadvertently get into a situation that's confusing to people because I've got so many offerings that they don't know what I do or where they belong in inside my inside my offering so portfolio strategy looks at that process of determining how do i structure this between a parent brand and child brands and sub brands and it's it, it, it <laughs> for me in the industry i just loved it it's, you know that's the kind of stuff that i geeked out
1: on you know what's interesting about that too is this idea of like i think and it's probably because i spent too much time with with startup founders or, you know, executives or CEOs at, at other organizations, (laughs) we a lot of times don't have nearly as much contact with our customers as our frontline staff. Right. And so it's very easy for us to romanticize what our brand is and to, to talk ourselves into what people think of our brands. Right. And, uh, this quote, there's this quote I love that I actually taped like, In my office, right beside the door, so I'd see it every time I went out, it has to do with like what you're saying about all these, the different interactions people have with the organization at the different levels and all this stuff. Yeah. Your customer's experience is your brand. And it's not my graphic design. It's not the video that I wished people watched that they didn't. You know, those things aren't my brand. It was what their experience was. So if I made a video, but nobody saw it, that didn't change the perception but if my customer service person, if we don't have this like culture of where they're rewarded, where they're trained, where they're whatever, to treat people like the Four Seasons, we're not going to have any kind of a brand emotion relationship like the Four Seasons.
0: <laughs> I love that you brought that up. And in, in anyone who has worked in, in brand development, especially on the agency side, anyone who's really bringing a true brand strategy to the table, that'll be the first thing they tell their client is your brand is not your logo. It's not your logo is a symbol of your brand, but it does come down to the, the experience that people have with you, the perception, the sum of all the perceptions that all your customers have, that's your brand. And so companies that are really looking to build solid brands really do well to have a robust customer experience component to their operation to an ongoing process of collecting feedback of of talking to people on a regular regular, regular basis and you've seen the rise of platforms that do that and you know some very successful companies that have been built as a, as a result And that's why, you know, it's for for big business, frankly, for any business, but really in in larger organizations that can have the bigger budgets to to invest in customer experience, they can really get to know the heartbeat of what people are thinking and feeling and, and then deliver their services accordingly.
1: Yeah. You know, after whatever it is, 20 plus years practicing this art, what are some of the discoveries about marketing strategy that you feel like maybe not everybody else has, has paid the price to discover? What would have been some of the, the breakthroughs for you? Some of the most important concepts that have kind of been distilled through all these years of doing this. <laughs> That's a tough one. Jess, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'll, let me ask you it in a different way. <clears throat> when you think about, so I, you know, I'm, I can't help but keep starting businesses, right? Like most of, my, most of my time these days is being spent on our commercial real estate fund, right? Greystokeinvestments.com, trying to give a, accredited investors a a significantly above average quarterly check, right? And uh, really focusing on like the entrepreneurs who um, they're they're making good money, but it's not that passive, right? And they want it, they've got to that point in the career where they want to have more choice about whether they're working or not, right? right. And- you know, structurally, I've got this advantage of we are genuinely paying quite a bit higher than the other passive things. So I've got that differentiation there. We've got great lists of our own entrepreneur friends who have been making up our first investors. But, but we want to grow, obviously, beyond, beyond our own warm list, right? What's, a, what's an investment principle? What's a process principle to marketing strategy that would be one of your first advice for us there?
0: So using that using that that existing set or that first set of investors you have, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tapping into what is truly their motivation. You know, and there will be some that that would say, "Well, I know Jess and I love him, and he's been a friend of mine for ten years." Cut through that. You've got to you've got to cut through that. I and I just had this experience with an investor of mine whom I've known for a long time, and he said the flip side to me. You know, he 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 came in with an initial investment, and he said, "I do that just because just because I've known you and I trust you." But let me really take an objective look at this and see if I if I you know want to come in for more. Which he which he did. So you know, from your perspective, it's taking these initial relationships and cutting through the the subjectivity of the the long term relationship and getting to the core of what benefit are you providing? What is it of, which piece of differentiation are people really latching on to? And and then turning those things into the the messaging of your brand and I think I think branding has gets some criticism for well you're just telling people what they want to hear. It's gotta be genuine. You know I I've never ever recommended to to a client that they just well just find out what they want to hear and make it up. No, it's gotta be genuine, it's gotta be real. But you know, in through an understanding of what people really resonate with, you can put the best the best words to it.
1: Yeah, you know what is great about that is I can see like again, maybe maybe add just a few more from where we're at and then go back to all of them and say, instead of saying like like, do, like, genuine interviews of, hey, what was it? Instead of, like, overlaying my story of why they did it, you mm-hmm. know? Like, digging in deeper of, hey, when it actually came to writing that check, you know, which is a lot of money for, for some of them, what what was it that really put you over the top? You know, and, like, listening instead of, like, contaminating it with all my ideas, seeing what's, see what shows up in common across their stories, is that... What you think?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely valuable. That process of detaching, kind of the 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 paradigms of the relationship as much as you can, and just having an objective discussion. I mean, in everything we do, that that's super valuable. I think of when I was when I was leading one of the agencies that I was at. I wanted to really understand what people liked and didn't like about working there. And one of the most valuable things I ever did in my career was I started this process of interviewing everyone. You know, and A, they were blown away that I would take the time because I was spending an hour with each employee, you know, and, and, you know, granted, we didn't have a thousand employees, but, you know, in, a, in the in the agency world, it wasn't typical that, you you know the, the president of the company would sit down and spend an hour with each person, and I tried to do it, you know, at least once a year. And what I learned in those interviews with people, where they could say anything, tell me anything, and the more the and they realized that the 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 more in, potentially critical stuff they had to share, the more I appreciated it. You know, and, and we got to that place of trust uh, and got really down to, hey, what can we do to be better in, in the, the organization improved? So, and, and, but it's the same principle. Anytime you can do that with your with your clients, or your customers, it, you know, it gets real. And, you know, you have to figure out how to scale that based on the kind of organization that you are. But yeah, for some of the, the, the the smaller ventures where you're still in control of those relationships, yeah, spend as much time as you can talking to people and really understanding their their motivations and their concerns and then being able to frame your offering in a way that meets true needs and and also meets the, the emotional expectations they have for the relationship.
1: Okay. I love it. Okay, here's my last one. I've been thinking about, run an experiment, maybe just run it with my personal money. And then if it works out well, maybe the fund will start doing it. Okay. Um, I look at how much can be made in the short-term rental world of like, you know, unique stays on Airbnb, right? Like tree houses and A-frames and, you know, yurts and glamping tents and right. The rates of return can be really absurdly high, right? And I've been thinking about this, like what, what's like a whole brand that hasn't been done there. And I think about like the action sports, Red Bull type of brand. Okay. And I think those families that are really into action sports, there's not really like a, a hotel chain or there's not really like a resort chain specifically targeted them. And when you want to start bringing a few kids, like it gets expensive. You want to stay in Park City. You want to stay in Whistler. <laughs> you want to stay in Hawaii. Right. Like that adds up. And so this idea that I have is like, what if we built, you know, maybe we do like a line of these outside of national parks, but maybe we also go to like those ideal destinations where like, if you, if you were a hardcore snowboarder 20 years ago and you still love it, right. But now you've got a family, where are you trying to take them? Like kind of that like real adventure action sports type of angle. Okay. And but basically, go out there and like where a hotel room might get built for 80 grand or 120 grand or something like this, like if we can build our whole location for like we built that room for 10 grand, right? We can undercut the hotels and families could actually afford to take the whole kids or like your buddy's trip, you're gonna go on more buddies' trips because it, it's not so over the top expensive to, to actually get together with your high school friends that you used to skateboard with and all go, I'll go on a surf trip together something like this. Okay. So the feedback I've got so far, just like my customer discovery calls is they want the amenities of a hotel, but cheaper. They're like, I don't actually need everything in a house from an Airbnb. I really only need the things that a hotel has, but I want to have an experience and I just want it to be cheaper than a hotel. So I don't have, I don't have existing customers to go on. This is like a complete experiment kind of a thing. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for me for, for validation?
0: So I love the concept of experiments and putting it together as though it already existed. Okay. So if you – do you remember a few – here's a perfect example. Do you remember a, a few years ago there was – I think it was called Coin. It was like a digital card that you could load all of your credit card info onto and and just carry this one card i don't know if you remember that yeah i did. they their their great experiment and I, i've not seen it done better is they put a website together and an ordering experience together every single detail except that it wasn't built yet and <laughs> and you know based on the response they got and the 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 money that they could raise on pre-orders, you know, that's, that's what determined whether or not they, you know, could go forward or would go forward. And, you know, if the experiment failed then they could give people their money back and, you know, I'm not sure how they handled that, frankly, because I, I don't think it was done in a kind of a, a crowdfunding kind of way. But I remember just seeing the, the way they presented the offering. I completely understood it. And, in the test was Okay. Does Bill think that's a good idea or will he actually give me his money? You know, and, and so that, that, that's on one end of the spectrum. That's, that's one way to do an experiment short of actually taking people's money. Yeah. Build build out the brand.
1: Like what, what if I, you know, what about even just starting with our first location, you know? And it's, you know, like, again, it's just my personal cash. So I'm not risking any investor money. Right. Yeah. When it comes to that first location and like, learning as much as we can and running the experiments and like actually having real guests and seeing which amenities they cared the most about. Cause like our thought is, you know, can we basically buy some like farmer land, not far away. Right. And like make a mini resort and have ax throwing and get out the Bobcat and dig the mountain bike track and doing <clears throat> like basically make it a kind of a, a mini resort right there for, for like get stuff off KSL for free. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like make stuff, make like, the the biggest swing you've ever seen, like a thirty foot swing, and like (laughs) you know, my mom grew up in southern Alberta, Canada, and out on this farm, they had a they had, and I'm gonna have people have people sign the craziest waivers, but they had a teeter totter that when you went up, you were like twelve feet in the air at the other end. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right? And just like, can we do one of a kind stuff people have never seen before? Right? But Anyways, so if we actually run a test site, what kind of ideas about validation once we get to that level?
0: Yeah, that's 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 awesome. You could create, frankly, a lot of energy around the whole concept if you invited people to to participate
1: in in, in actually building it. Come out, come out and build the mountain bike track with us. Come <laughs> come build the skateboard half pipe. I guess you could take it. I,
0: I I meant metaphorically, you know, in terms of the ideas and stuff, but that's a whole nother level, Jess. that'd be awesome. You know, frankly, that's what a lot of the the platforms. if you look at a Kickstarter or an IndieGoGo kind of platform, that's really what they're doing is they're saying, hey, here's our idea. We're looking for people that believe in it and you know would would throw in a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or fifty bucks or whatever it is. And and help us build this, and that's essentially. Not only is it a great tool for raising some early money, but it's also it's also a validation mechanism. And hey, let's enlarge the idea if we do the feedback correctly. You know, it it also plays that role too. So you could you could take that to a whole new level. But I, I like the I like the notion of getting people in. I'm not sure where you'd find that first critical mass of people, you know, that that would be interested in that kind of thing. But it's the kind of thing that does have the power to, to have a viral effect to it inside some of those communities. I stayed at an Airbnb last year. I was on a little road trip with my daughter and we stayed in this little Airbnb that was for mountain bikers. But I don't know, we ended up there somehow and but everything was catered to them and i guarantee if you were a mountain biker you were telling other mountain bikers about it like this is the place to stay we had like our own little spartan cabin but it was like 60 bucks you know and yeah guarantee that's that's part of the the mountain biking culture in in montana where yeah, interesting interesting
1: like go through your old emails and find me that listing so i can look it yeah
0: them. yeah absolutely i i could find it in a heartbeat yeah, well, it's, my, it was in Helena.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I want to see that. Because my thought is like right here in Park City in our own backyard, like I could actually make it a feature, not a bug, that we are not right in town at the resort. Because, like, hey, get away from the hustle and bustle. There's a snowboard park, like, have your own private snowboard park and sledding hill for the kids for when you come home from the resort. But the, you know, your 12 year old couldn't get enough of it. Right. Yeah. Cool. I think it's a cool idea. Well, listen, this has been great. One more time, do you want to tell people where where they can check out check out what you guys have created?
0: Yeah, trumi.com. A T-R-O-O-M-I.com. And, you know, we've created a solution that we're really excited about. We know from the feedback we're getting that this is what parents have been looking for. It's a safe and flexible way to introduce technology to kids. Choose a phone. Choose a phone plan, like Jess said. We start at fourteen ninety five, and and then accessories, and you can even put insurance at a very affordable at a very affordable price. But uh, yeah, it, there's a lot of a lot of information and resources about our mission too, and just advice for helping parents work through all these issues with kids and technology. And if we can be helpful to your family, we'd love to be part of your solution.
1: Love it. Okay, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Jess. Great to be with you. Okay. Bye, everyone.